I'm excited about this morning. Uh, if you don't know me, if you're new here, my name's Christian Nance. I am the student pastor here. So uh, Jeff is out uh, today. So I'm going to be filling in. We've been talking about a series um, that really is about uh, the characteristics of a Christian. And so today's about faithfulness. And, and uh, I'm not going to lie to you, this week uh, really shook me to the core, in all honesty. Uh, I had some things happen and take place in my life that I realized, like, okay, man, I, I don't know that I'm really being faithful to the extent that God is desiring of me. And so um, I had a conversation with my wife on last Sunday night. Uh, we, we actually had probably one of the worst arguments that we've had in a long, long, long time. I kept my cool. She was just outrageous. Um, <laughs> And uh, I was really godly, <laughs> not true. Um, but but here, and here's what's crazy about it. Like, I hadn't really started working on the material for this week yet. And, uh, and, and she, and this is confession time. And I tell you this because, like, I realize in my own life there's areas that I need to realize that being faithful um, is more than what I thought. So, uh, and if you asked a person... Has your husband or wife been faithful to you? The only thing they're going to be thinking about is, have you had an affair on that person? So if you ask me, have you been faithful to your wife, then yes, the answer is yes. But what I was confronted with in the midst of this conversation with my wife last Sunday is that I recognized that I've been unfaithful to my family. That God, listen, I pour my heart and my soul into students and other people all the time, so much so that I've forgotten and neglected the people that I'm with the most. That being faithful is so much more than just a certificate that says you're married and I've not had an affair on you. Being faithful is saying, I'm going to lead you. I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to make sure that I do the things in my life to develop this relationship. And it's no different in our relationship to the Father. That it's not enough for you to sign the ticket that says, oh, I've received you as my Lord and Savior. Now I'm done. No, God says, I want more. So, so now that God, once you give your life to him, he's going to say, listen, are you pursuing me with everything that you have? Are you giving everything in every aspect of your life? And so the things I want you thinking about today is this. It's not just so much do you show up to church on Sunday morning and Wednesday and then you come here sometimes. Are you really leading your families? Are you really uh, engaging in culture in such a way that you're saying, God, I want more. I want more. Our church has seen some awesome things take place in the last, last year, two years. I mean, it's been awesome to see like we've had lots of baptisms. We've had lots of professions of faith. We've seen incredible things. God working in mighty ways. He's been so faithful to us. God's been so, would you agree that God's been very faithful to us? Amen. Like it's okay. I don't know who during the song a while ago, just before Alan prayed, someone said amen. Or who was that that did that? Who? I don't care. Yeah, I, no one even wants to own it up now, but somebody did it. High five. Man, like listen, if there's one thing I'm going to challenge you today, God, if I say something that needs to be amen or applauded or jump up and down, then please do it. I, man, listen, God deserves, right, our response. Because he's good. He's good. We don't have to sit here still like, I don't know. No, it's good. We, we amen that, right? Now, here's, what I, here's where we're going with this, though. If we're going to be a church that continues to see the things take place that we've been seeing, and Kathy just got back from church camp and had professions of faith, and we had VBS this summer, and I forget how many professions of faith, but it was 20-something, right? Man, that's so incredible. But are we satisfied? Are we content with that? 
Because see, when, when the gospel wrecks your life, and that's really what I'm going to focus in today, on being faithful, when the gospel takes a hold of your life, the good news of Jesus, he wants more. And we're going to see that. And so if you'll take a look now and just turn in your Bibles real quickly to um, Ephesians chapter 2. And what we're going to see as, as we go through this today, and, and, and I encourage you to take notes, but I will tell you this, that I'm going to go rapidly today. <laughs> so if you're a note taker, man, you're going to have to go really quick, and I apologize, but if you need scripture references and other things that we're going to read today, uh, I'll give them to you. You can go online and watch this again if you need to take notes. You may be like, no, it's not worth taking notes on. Um, but I believe God has something to say, and there's a lot to be said, and so buckle up. Get ready for the ride, and we're going we're gonna to plow through this really quickly today, all right? Ephesians 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Now, if you stop after the first three verses, you're going to be very depressed. Like, it's really like you're going, okay, Paul, what do you got going on here? I get it. I'm bad. I mean, over and over and over again. It's like, no, wait, no, it gets worse. No, yeah, no. You're, you're a child of wrath. Like, okay, that's your counting point. I get it. Now, he didn't stop there, though, did he? Verse 4. Whew, this is so good. First two words. Who bought their Bibles today? Anybody bring their Bibles, like a physical Bible? If you brought your Bible today, do me a favor and underline these first two words. If you don't have your Bible, or if you're like, man, I can't write in the Bible, but it's God's Word, then you and I can go to a shop and we'll get it tattooed on your forehead. These two words you need to know, all right? But God. Listen, He built up that we are children of wrath, that we have no hope of anything, and yet, but God. But God being rich in mercy, he's full of mercy. He's not going to run out. He'll always be able to give it to you because of his great love with which he loved us, meaning he's not reluctant in giving you the mercy. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Oh, that's what I'm talking about. And raised up with us in him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Man, do you know that? Did you realize that we, we talk about God dwelling inside of us, and he does? But listen, the, the most purest picture of all is that we are in him. We are found in Jesus. The purest place to be. The most holy place to be. The, most, the, the best place to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ to fight what's going to happen each and every day of our lives is found in Jesus Christ. That's where our home is. Don't forget it. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works. You can't ever, this, I'm, I'm going offline here for a second. You can't earn salvation. You'll never be good enough. I don't care how good you are. I don't care. I've heard people, but my grandmother's so sweet. She's not sweet enough. Man, listen, you can't do anything to earn 
your salvation. It's solely based upon the, the working of Jesus Christ in and through your life because of what he accomplished on the cross. That's what you're saved on, not your works, so that no man may boast. For we are his workmanship. God has created you for something specific and special, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should what? Walk in them. Not that we should sit back and think about them. Not that once we realize what God has done for us, we go, oh, let me meditate on that for a few minutes. No, that we should walk in them. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news. Now, we talk about the gospel a lot, and Jeff, man, he does an amazing job every week making sure we understand what the gospel is. But in case you haven't heard it, I want to make sure that you don't leave here thinking, oh, I don't know what it is. Because the very thing that we need to have in our lives, if we're going to be faithful to the call of God, if we're going to be faithful to the mission of God, it only comes when we first understand the gospel and then we embrace the gospel. And when you understand the gospel, not just in theory, but you embrace it, it embodies you, it becomes who you are, then you will be faithful to the mission of God. And only then. So what is this gospel? Well, yes, it's the, I can tell you what the Greek word is. It's evangelion. Are you impressed? No, I'm not either, right? It means good news. And I think you've heard that before. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. But what exactly is the good news? Yes, it's the good news that Jesus came and died for us. But it's so much more than that. So it, it, literally, there's several things I want you to understand about the good news of Jesus. One, it means that our faith, our faith in Jesus is not defined by any set of rules or regulations that we have to follow. Our faith in him, for, in order for him to be pleased with who we are and what we've done, is not now defined by us keeping rules and regulations. It's not about a bunch of do's and don'ts. We don't have to do certain things or not do certain things in order to have God be pleased with us. That's the good news. The good news of the gospel, and this is a big one, is that because of your sin and because of my sin, we have fallen short, way short of the glory of God. And because we have fallen short of the glory of God and what he is expected for our lives to be and what he wants from us, because we've fallen so short, we deserve and we get eternity in hell. Well, that doesn't sound like good news, does it? But the good news is this. We just saw it in verse 4. What are the two words? But God. But God didn't leave us there. He didn't leave us alone to spend eternity in hell. Rather, he entered into humanity. Do you get that? The God of creation entered into humanity. Somebody say, whoa. Godly. It's incredible. He, he lived a perfect life. He lived a sin-free life. Worked his way to the cross where he ultimately died for your sin and my sin. He, he became those things. And died a death for us, right? So that all of our sins would be paid for and atoned for. Once and for all. Once meaning on the cross. For all meaning for all of your sins for all time. There's no sins that God goes, oh man, I don't have that one covered. All of your sins have been covered. 
Every single last solitary sin that you have ever committed or will commit, they've been covered by the atoning work of Jesus on the cross. So that means that if you sin today, guess what God says? Your sin has been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. If you sin tomorrow, guess what God says? Your sin has been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. If you sin in 20 years and it's the worst sin you've ever done, God says, listen, your sin has been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you get this. That is really, 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 really good news. Hello? Are we live here? Yeah, I mean, seriously. It's, I promise God's not going to strike you down with a lightning bolt because you're not excited about his good news. But here's the deal. It's like those infomercials where there's always more. There's so much more here. The, the good news is the fact that now when God sees you, he sees you as a son and daughter. Man, like, this is crazy. I don't, have you ever thought about that? I mean, seriously, have you thought about the fact that when God sees you now, he sees you as he sees Jesus, his son? He doesn't see you as a stepchild. He doesn't see you as a little bit less than Jesus. No, because you've been found in Christ Jesus. When he sees you, he sees you as a son and daughter, his own. Gosh, that's good news. The good news of the gospel is that now I have hope when I used to have no hope. I have dreams when I never had dreams. The good news of the gospel is that I once was dead as we just read. That that spiritually speaking, I had no hope, no dreams, no breath. I had no life in me. I was lifeless. But because of the good news of Jesus Christ, the hope that he has given us has now given me new life. The good news of the gospel tells me this, that I'm no longer haunted by my past because my presence is now in Christ Jesus. Man. I don't have to worry about the man I used to be because he now sees the man I am now, the man that stands before him now. He says, you are the man I love. And there's nothing that I can do today and there's nothing that you can do today that God would look at and go, that is so egregious that I no longer love you or that I love you a little bit less. God's love stays the same for us. There's nothing that you can do that he would look at you today and say, I can't love you as much as I have in the past. What a great truth for us to live. I don't know if you know this, but there are days where I do things and I go, man, I'm a wretched man. The argument with my wife the other night, when I realized the next morning, I was like, man, what have I become? I can't believe I've let them down. That it would have been really easy for me in that moment to attack myself and allow the enemy to creep in and tell me that God must not love me as much as he used to because I've not been leading well. But the truth of the gospel and the good news of the gospel says, no, he loves you the same. And not only that, maybe you need to hear the opposite of that, is that, listen, you could never do enough that God will love you more. That's the whole idea that we don't have to work towards it. You don't have to work towards your faith. He's going to love you because of his son Jesus, not because of anything that you've done. That, guys, that is the good news of Jesus Christ. And here's what happens. When we begin to get that in our lives, when we, when we not just hear that, that good news, but we begin to embrace that good news, We begin to say, I want to take ownership of that goodness. It it is for me. It is a gospel that that changes my life. When we hear that, and it begins to saturate our lives, it begins to fill every nook, cranny, crevice, and corner, and being of who we are, we begin to ooze the gospel of Jesus out of our pores. It changes everything that we do. When I, and and God, I'll be honest, this is the area that I think that that is troubling for probably the church of America today, is that this. 
The gospel, we've understood it. And the gospel, we've, we've said that we have embraced it. But yet, are we truly being faithful to the mission of God? Not just sometimes. All the time. Because when I look, look at people in the past, and I look at people like Paul. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians chapter 1. I want you to look, look at what Paul says here. Hey, Kathy, would you do me a favor? I left my water right there, and I'm going to need it. Y'all mind if I get a little water? Oh, you're so sweet. Happy water. Mm. Philippians 1, 21 through 22. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I'm going to stop right there. I remember reading this and thinking, Oh, man, I got this. I'm just like Paul. I must, man, the gospel must be just consuming me. It must, I must have really embraced the gospel because I'm, I'm thinking, like, listen, if I die, yeah, I'm good. I'm ready to go home and be with the Lord. Like, it, it, take me out at any moment in time. I, uh, it, I'm ready to go. But, man, there's also a part of me that really wants to stay here. And what we see here is this tug of war, right? There's a tug of war that Paul's having saying, listen, I, I so want to be with the Lord. I, I want to be in his presence. I want to be with other believers. I want to be at the side of Jesus. And he's just ready to go home. And, I, man, my prayer for you, I hope that's your prayer, that you're ready to go home and be with him, that you're not reluctant in going. But there's a second part where you have to have that tug of war. But God, I want to stay here. And I remember patting myself on the back thinking, okay, this is great. I really get it because I, I want both. I want both so bad. But then Paul, and I don't know why he did this. I wish he would have just stopped at verse 21. He had to write 22, and that just wrecked everything. This is what he says. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. You see, when I started thinking about the things and reasons that I wanted to stay here, it had nothing to do with fruitful labor. It was because, oh, I want to watch my kids grow up. I, I want to watch the latest ne episode on Netflix. Man, Game of Thrones has just started back. Man, God, don't take me now. Let me stay here so I can finish Game of Thrones. Let me stay here because, I, God, man, I've got a Snapchat streak going, and, man, I can't imagine not keeping that going. It's at 347 days. There's so many reasons that we think, ah, man, I want to go play golf one more time. I want, to, I want to see my grandkids grow up. I want to do all these different things in life. I've never seen Alaska. I, I want to go do that first, God. Let me stay here and enjoy some aspects of life, and then I want to go home. But, but the reality is that the reason we really want to stay is rooted in selfish motives instead of it being the gospel has so embraced my body that in order for me to stay, God, I, I just want to tell people about you. I just want people to know your name. I just want to love my family correctly. I want to lead them correctly. I want to make sure my kids grow up in your name. That that's the real turmoil that we need to be having. And if that's not the turmoil and that's not the tug of war of our heart, then we need to get something in check. And it doesn't mean that it's wrong to have a family. And it doesn't mean it's wrong to want to have those experiences with them. But they need to come secondary to our relationship with Jesus. And that he wants to impact the lives around you, including your kids, including your wife, including your grandkids, including your friends, including your co-workers, and on and on and on with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that will not take place unless he is the very reason that you want to stay here in the first place. It gets better, though. Look at what he says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, brothers... Pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread ahead, I'm sorry, spread rapidly and be honored as happened among you. 
And I know it's not up on the screen, but I'm going to say this again. He says, finally, brothers, listen to his prayer. Listen to his prayer. He says, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead or spread rapidly. Literally, what that means is to run. He wants the message of the Lord to get legs and run. He wants it to run to Dallas, Texas. He wants it to run to every state in the United States. He wants it to run to every country around the world. He wants the message to, to take legs and run. And this is his prayer. Paul's prayer in this moment it could have been for any number of things besides that, but yet, this is what he prays for. And I don't know if you know this or not, but Paul had some serious consequences and circumstances going on in his life. Man, he's been beaten, he's been stoned, he's been shipwrecked. I mean, there's so many things taking place in Paul's life. And yet his prayer here is not, God, will you make my life easier? Will you help me out of these circumstances? Instead, his focus is on the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ because he's been consumed and enamored and he's embraced the gospel of Jesus in his life. The good news has consumed him. And when you begin to be consumed that way, that's what comes out of your life. Your focus is no longer on yourself. It's now on the Lord and what he wants. And so is it wrong to pray for other things? No. People will get sick in life and, we, and we're going to pray for them. But our, our prayers begin to change because now we pray in light of who God is. That now we've got, God, this is a circumstance that's happening in life, and, and I, want, I want you to be made known through this. Yes, I'm going to pray for the safety. Yes, I'm going to pray for their healing. But if it doesn't happen, God, will you make sure that you are glorified in this? And that only happens when we understand the gospel, the good news of Jesus in our lives. Look at what Paul says in Acts. I'm sorry. This is uh, Peter and John in Acts chapter 4. This is their prayer. Acts chapter 4, verse 29 through 31. They've just been arrested and let go, and they've been told, do not tell anyone about Jesus again. Don't let anyone know who he is, or we're going to kill you. And here's their prayer. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed throughout the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. <laughs> you ever thought about that? That they prayed so fervently that God would move in and through their lives, even though it might mean their death. They were not concerned with that. Their prayer was, God, let us be bold. Let us be bold with your word. Make sure that every conversation we have is about you. Never let us be ashamed. Let us go out there with great courage to share your love with people. And as they prayed this prayer, a prayer of, of what I would say sincerity, a prayer that was without pride, a prayer full of humility, a prayer full of humbleness, because they said, take me out of the equation, God, and make it about your name and your name for other people. And God responded and the place shook. Can you imagine if you prayed with that kind of passion and that kind of fervor, if the place that you were standing in that moment, you got up and it shook underneath you? I mean, how incredible would that be? And here's what I believe. I believe when the, the gospel begins to saturate your life in such a way that you begin to seek him in that way, that God responds that way. Do you believe it? Do you trust in it? See, when, 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 when you begin to be a person that is engulfed by the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, it changes your aspect on everything. It changes the way you look at your wife. 
It changes the way you engage your family. It changes, listen, no longer are you thinking, okay, uh, my kids are about to graduate. We need to make sure their education gets in place so that they can one day have a job that will provide for themselves. When you understand who Jesus is, it changes your perspective. And now it's like, listen, whatever you get your degree in, it's going to be fine. But in the end, I just want you to know Jesus and tell people about Jesus. So whatever job you have, you don't have to go into it thinking, oh, what kind of life will this afford me? Rather, God, if I have this job, how much more can I now give back? It changes the way you look at your kids. It changes the way kids look at their parents. It changes the way we look at prayer because no longer is prayer just about us and what we need. Now it's about God. Our prayers become consumed with God. We just want you to move. We just want you to change people's lives. We just want you to engulf us with your presence. It changes the way we look at giving. Can, listen, if we truly live in a way that where the, the gospel resonates with us, when you think about giving, it's no longer, okay, I've got to do my 10%. No, it's, God, how much more can I give you? Do you realize that, that if, if everyone gave according to what God gave them, we would have no need for a budget? We would, have, we would never have to come to the church and say, hey, we're doing a fundraising, we need your help. Because God held nothing back from us. Thus, we should have nothing back from him. And that only takes place when the gospel, the good news, and you've heard me say it over and over again, I hope you're getting it. It has to saturate your life. And if it doesn't, then we'll never be the people God's called us to be. We'll never be the people who, who transform lives. We'll stop seeing the baptism waters change. We'll stop seeing baptism. We'll start seeing lives change, right? It's got to change us. Now, there's two things that I want us to take a look at that I think keep us from really being faithful to the call of God in our life, right? And really, it's, it's one thing, but there's two different styles of it, and it's just apathy. And I know maybe when you hear the word apathy, you're thinking, I can't, uh, I'm not apathetic, I'm here, right? I, I'm not, I, 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 don't, don't call me lazy, right? And that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not telling you that if you're apathetic, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a sign of laziness, Right, or inaction. But I, I do think if you look historically through the church and you see times and, and places where they've not been faithful to the call of God, it's been because apathy has set in. So if you have your Bibles, Haggai chapter 1. This is a group of people that has gone back to build the temple. And when they've gotten there, they've kind of just slouched off and just taken care of themselves, and they've never finished building the temple. And this is God's response to them. Thus said the Lord of hosts, this people says, the time has not yet come, even for the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, is it time for you to build your houses, to dwell in your paneled houses while the house lies desolate? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, underline that, God's, I'm telling you, God's going to tell you, consider your ways. You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. Thus says the Lord of the hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains. This is, <laughs> I love it, like a good father. Go up to the mountains, bring down wood, and re. Build the temple. In other words, finish what I've told you to do. Be faithful to what I've called you to do. I've got a mission I need finished. Be faithful. 
It says that I might be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. Now listen, like I said, sometimes when we think about apathy, we think, okay, does this mean laziness? Does this mean a sin of inaction? And this isn't necessarily the sin of inaction. It, it is, but it's more of an action that leads to inaction, all right? And I don't know if you're tracking with me, but I'll just give you an example. Uh, we have a picture I want to see up on the screen, please. It's a, uh, we, got a uh, we got a pork shop. Maybe. Was it up there? Oh, yeah. Can y'all see that? All right. Perry's Steakhouse. Anybody know where Perry's Steakhouse is? Anybody ever had this pork shop? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Listen, so when I moved here a couple years ago, someone recommended this pork chop. This pork chop is $50, right? And it, I'm looking at it right down here like I'm getting distracted. Golly, that looks good. Man, it is, I mean, it is so delicious. I'm not, I mean, it is, it's, I don't know what they put on it. It might be something illegal, right? Because it is that good. And it's so tender. I'm not usually a pork chop guy, but it's just tender and just mouth-watering delicious. So the first time we went there, we heard that they have a special on Fridays for $14. So I'm like, I'm in, man. If it's cheap, I'm in, always. So we go and, and uh, we sit down. The, the waitress comes up. Hey, you know what you want? I'm like, I don't even need a menu. Like, just pork chop, right? She goes, okay, I, I get you pork chops. And so as she starts to leave, she goes, hey, do you want any bread with that? I'm like, is it free? Yes, then I'm in. All right. Free is always good. So they bring the bread, and they bring it out, and they bring butter with it. Oh, sweet butter. And we begin to tear this bread apart, and it's just so warm inside. Man, it's just like, oh, it's so good. And I begin to dip it in that butter, and I'm just eating. I'm like, oh, God, you're good, the giver of bread, right? And eating it, my wife has a little bit, and, and literally, I'm drinking the butter. Like, I just get my straw, and I'm just like, oh, you're so good. And she comes back by again, and she's like, hey, do you want more bread? I'm like, yes. My wife's like, no. I'm like, yes. So she brings more bread. And of course, she says to me, like, listen, you probably shouldn't eat that much. You're going to get too full. I'm like, no, I'm good. Listen to your wife. So then they bring out this pork chop. The very reason we went there was for this pork chop. And they bring it out, and I look at it, and I'm like, you look so good. You look delicious. But I'm so full. Right? So I, I take a couple bites, and I realize, like, I just can't eat anymore. And I'm like, hey, just give me a to-go box. Just give me a to-go box. I'll take it home, and I'll eat it. And guess what? I take it home. I sit in the refrigerator, and guess what it does? It's just there for several days, and I never ate the pork chop. The best of intentions, but I never finished it. And here's why I share that story with you. is because of this. Spiritually speaking, this is what happens, right? God comes to us, and he says, man, I've got this mission for you. I want you to go and do these things. And we look at God, and we go, man, God, I would love to go and do those things, but I filled myself up on the table scraps of the world. I'm so consumed with other things in life, smaller things, smaller portions, that now when it comes to, to dining with the king and eating and feasting on the mission of God, I'm too full. And so I say, God, you know what? This message resonated with me. Let me just box it up and take it home where I can maybe think about possibly maybe praying about one day maybe being on mission with you. See, we fill ourselves up with things that just don't matter. For a lot of us, it's technology. So it could be Facebook. It could be Snapchat. It could be Twitter. All these things that are mindless that we're just going through life and missing out on the one thing that God has for us. And then when he comes to us and says, man, I really want you to go and be a part of my mission. You're like, man, not right now. I'm just too full. 
And some of the things that we fill our lives up on are really not that bad. Sometimes it's about work or it's about jobs. It's about family. And we say, but God, man, I just want to do this. I want to spend time with my family. I want to work this job enough so that one day I can retire. And we get so consumed maybe with our retirement that we don't realize that our retirement is already taken care of in Christ Jesus. And we miss out on the mission of God because of it. The second reason The second way we're apathetic is this, and this is the last one that we're going to be done. And it's found in Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 14. And this is what it says. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares of the riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not prove faithful. This second group of people, right? It's a group of people who have fallen in love with their own comforts and success. It's a group of people that at one time in their life, if you read the text well, at one time in their life, they, they, they had seen God do great things. They've seen God do remarkable things in their life. But somewhere along the way, they've lost their hunger. Somewhere along the way, after seeing God do amazing things, they've lost their hunger and thirst. They've lost their satisfaction It's like Isaiah 55 where where he says, come to the waters, come and eat, come and drink, come be satisfied. They're no longer being satisfied by God because they're being satisfied by previous stories of success. See, I I don't want our church to be that. I don't want our church that's always talking about saying, oh, remember when we used to do that? Remember when we took 100 people to camp? Remember when 20 people got saved? Remember all these things that we used to do? God says, I don't want you focusing on the past. What's happening in the present? It's an ongoing process. And if you get too focused on the past, you forget what's right in front of you. And just because God may have delivered your family out of something doesn't mean that you need to stop the process with them. And just so you know, I'm speaking to myself here. Didn't we see this with King David? Didn't we see this with King David, like this idea of resting in the laurels of his past where, with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapter 11? Where he sends, it's, it's springtime. It's the time when, when kings go to war. They go to fight for more. They go to fight for more land. They go to fight for more of the kingdom. And, and in that story, David sends everybody else out and he stays back. So instead of going out and fighting for more of what God had for him, he says, no, I'm good with what I have. And we see him, it says, in the cool of the day, he gets up from his couch. Right? David's no longer in the fight. He's been chilling back, relaxing while everybody else is in the fight, fighting for, for more of what God has for them. He's ki- kicking back going, ah, remember that time when I took out that lion and that bear? That was awesome. Right? Or, man, God, remember that time that I took out Goliath? He came tumbling down. He's, he's resting in the laurels of his past instead of focusing on God wants more. God wants more from us. He, he doesn't want us to be satisfied and content with one conversion. He says, no, I want more. In Galatians 4.19, Paul says, listen, I'm in childbirthing pains until Christ is formed in you again. That tells me that he's the man who says, look, I will never stop hungering and thirsting for a movement of God in people's lives. So when one person gets saved, he says, God, give me another one. And when that person gets saved, he says, God, give me another one. And when that person gets saved, he says, God, give me another one. And if it's not just about salvation, this person's hurting. God, bring me another one. This person's hurting. God, bring me another one. It's over and over and over again until we go home to be with him in glory. That's what God desires of us. 
And if we think we can focus on the past, we're missing out on the present and all that God could do with us now. One last story, and Nathan, you can go ahead and come up, and we're going to do something a little unique today, and it's this. Because I want you to understand that I don't get this. I went to camp several years ago, and we had this guy. He was an atheist who came. He was a senior. They let me know he's an atheist. I was doing college ministry at the time and went as, just as a sponsor. And we get there the first night. Anybody know who Matt Chandler or Chris Tomlin are? This crowd might know them. Yeah, they're pretty well-known people. So they were the camp pastor and, and the worship leader that week. So in our day and age, that would be like the power team. That's like Jesus almost for some people, right? They're like, like it's, some people would say that as Matt Chandler reads a phone book, it's like, oh man, that's so good. Like he's just got a way of communicating that's incredible, right? And so the first night, it's a Sunday night, he preaches and I'm like, man, this is it. This kid, there's no way that this guy is not gonna know Jesus at the end of this, right? Next thing I know, he comes, we have this meeting, we start sharing about it all. And this kid, I'm like, okay, everybody else has shared about how God moved this first night. He's like, man, I see how you guys get duped into this. He's like, man, that, that song sounded so good. I, I could feed it in my chest. I could see how they move you to thinking you're feeling something you're not. And he said, man, that guy that spoke, he's the one that, he's actually the one who told me that, that line about the phone book. He said, I, that guy could read a phone book and I'd be moved. He said, but that doesn't tell me anything about God. And man, so I realized real quick, like, we need to immerse ourselves in prayer. We need to pour ourselves into prayer over this young man. And so day two comes, same thing. Day three comes, same thing. Day four comes, same thing. And over and over again, his, his story is the same, like, yeah, this is a fraud. This isn't real. Over and over. And we have people praying throughout the day, every day, every time we come together, let's pray for him. Every moment we got, we're praying for this guy. And then the final, the fifth day, we wake up and there's something called the concert of prayer. It's where the whole group of students and leaders, 1,500 strong, come together and they pray for three or four hours about different subjects. And you're breaking up into groups of two, sometimes four, sometimes six. And you're just over and over again just praying for different things. And one of the things that we prayed for in that moment was family. And I was in his group. And man, we began to pray. And I was just praying for his family. And another person was praying. And we prayed for all the people's family in there. And man, nothing's happened. And all of a sudden, a kid by the name of Dylan Scott, and he was one of the counselors there, he walked over. He put his hand on this young man. And he began to pray for his family out loud, just saying, God, I pray that he would, he would know that you are his family. I pray, God, that he would know your love and only your love and how great your love is. And he prayed this and over and over. And all of a sudden, this kid broke down and began to weep uncontrollably. He began to just shake and shudder. You can just tell. And he's just like, all of a sudden, he's confessing sin. He's like, God, I know you're real. I'm just going, what? You know, I'm like, you can't touch black, no take back. You're it. Right? And literally, I pull him outside, and we start to talk about it, right? We're like, man, what, what happened? He said, listen, I didn't want anything to do with Jesus. He said, but all of a sudden, Dylan prayed over me and said, I want you to feel the love of God. Show him your love. He said, I felt a love that I've never felt in my life. He said, my parents are amazing. They love me so well. He said, but compared to what I felt in that moment, their, their love was literally trash. He said, I want that love. And here's what's crazy. That, that I find myself in those moments going, man, God, you're so incredible. I just want to do your work. I just want to live for you. Only to find myself two months later just going, ah, I don't really have time. And God said, no, Christian, I want more. I want more from you. I want more of the world to know me. Don't be satisfied and content with past victories. It's only the beginning of what I can do.
It's only the start of something great.